Welcome to Off the Record, produced by WKXL, available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, and all platforms that carry podcasts. And I'm Matt Robeson, along with former Congressman Paul Hodes. We are pleased is we are pleased to have Lawrence Douglas with us, Professor Lawrence Douglas of Amherst College. I can't say that any of us is pleased about the topic that we have under discussion today. Uh, Dr. Douglas is the James J. Grossfeld Professor of Law, Jurisprudence and Social Thought, uh, and the Chair of Law, Jurisprudence and Social Thought at Amherst College. He's also the author of Will He Go? And I think we all know who the he in that sentence is. Uh, the most comprehensive study before the election of the issues that might beset, befall the election, and this looming question of whether we could get Donald Trump out of office under our constitution. And that question has become no more pressing than in the last week in the shadow of an armed insurrection that briefly overtook the capital uh, of the United States. And <laughs> I, th that seems like really the only place to start. So Dr. Douglas, welcome back to Off the Record. It's a pleasure to be back with you, uh, Matt and Paul. So I I'll, I'll leap in with the first question here. As we record this, the House has delivered one article of impeachment against the president. This is the second time um, he will have been. I, I want to I say there will be a, an, an impeachment article entered against him. He is, he is not yet impeached. He is certainly not yet convicted. Now, when we last spoke, Dr. Douglas, you had written this book, Will He Go?, and we thought up until last week that we had an answer to that provocative question, that he would, after all, go. Now, in the remaining time before January 20th and the inauguration of our incoming president-elect, President-elect Biden, it's not so clear. Or at least the question might now be, how much more damage will we incur before he goes? So in your mind, what is the best way to limit the damage, limit the risk? Is it impeachment or is it some other mechanism that the Congress and the leadership of this country could undertake? Well, I mean, we need to bear in mind that we are, we're really talking about, you know, what, like 10 days, nine days or so. So, you know, there is um, whatever wisdom the impeachment process holds out. And I do think that, uh, you know, if there's someone who is richly deserving of being removed from office, it is uh, Donald Trump. It is, uh, you know, almost all but impossible to do so through the mechanism of the impeachment process. Uh, you know, maybe this is something we can talk about at greater length. I mean, one of the attractive features of the impeachment process is that it also holds out the prospect of disqualifying Trump from holding uh, office in the future. And that strikes me as a better reason to pursue the impeachment process uh, rather than use it as an opportunity to uh, remove him from the remaining days that he has in office. Uh, you know, the other constitutional uh, mechanism that could be in place is the 25th Amendment. That also is going to be, uh, it, it's not going to succeed. And we could talk about that as well. Um, in terms of the question of, you know, how then to best limit the kind of damage uh, that Trump could um, could do in the next, you know, nine, 10 days or so. I suppose one of the most efficacious steps step is the steps that, um, that uh, the social media platforms have taken. 
that Twitter and uh, Facebook have taken. Now, of course, one can say that there's some, you know, deep irony that these uh, platforms, which supplied Trump with his most uh, reliable megaphones over the last several years, are now uh, acting to uh, to restrain him. But I think that is a very helpful thing. I think that that's really helpful. Um, better late than never. And um, and you know, I, I suppose uh, whatever work his uh, remaining aides in the uh, now desolate West Wing, uh, whatever um, pressure they can pl place upon him to basically delegate all executive functions to uh, other people, I think that would be helpful as well. I'm not sure he actually is performing any uh, executive functions, but um, so I, I suppose that's, that's the best thing I can say about checking Trump uh, in the nine days or so that remain of his administration. The, um, well, what's been suggested uh, is that the House could impeach, um, but Jim Clyburn uh, has said as late as yesterday, um, maybe we'll hold the impeachment for several months and send to the Senate only after a delay to make sure that we've given uh, Joe Biden's first hundred days the the chance to to pass an agenda. Uh, the House doesn't want to step on the agenda. Um, more more broadly, is it possible to impeach a president after he's left office to prevent him from holding office again? Is that even allowed? Has it ever been done with anybody? Well, it, again, a lot of these questions <clears throat> are sort of to be decided. Uh, obviously, we don't have a particularly uh, rich history of, uh, of presidential impeachments. Uh, remember, Trump is only the third uh, president uh, ever to have been impeached, and uh, none of the impeached presidents have ever been removed from office. Uh, some of the other precedents that we have actually come not in the case of presidential impeachments, but of judicial impeachments. So there have been uh, cases in which, uh, let's say, federal judges have been uh, removed from office. And it does seem that it is possible to uh, use the impeachment process after someone has actually uh, left office. And uh, though, again, a lot of this is, uh, this will be matters that would certainly be debated um, should, for example, uh, the House only send over, let's say, the articles of impeachment to the Senate in, let's say, um, you know, three months after uh, Biden has taken office. But yes, there is precedent that suggests that you could go ahead and uh, do that. Of course, one of the other arguments that's been circulating right now in favor of impeachment is that it could prevent Trump from pardoning himself or receiving a pardon. And that's obviously been a hot topic as well. Can a president pardon himself? Uh, so the constitutional basis, as I understand it, for the president's pardon power is found in Article 2, Section 2 of the U.S. Constitution. And if I have the right section here, it says the presidents shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So that seems to be the case. If he is impeached, does that impede a pardon? Is that indeed a legitimate reason to consider moving ahead with impeachment? Well, again, the, the timing of that is, is still very uh, problematic because it says, except in cases of impeachment. Now, does that mean 
except in cases in which, again, we're getting a little granular now, but I'm afraid we're going to have to. Does that mean except in cases in which articles of impeachment have been voted by uh, the uh, House and sent over to the Senate? Or does it actually mean in cases in which the Senate has already convicted? And I think it probably means the latter. So I'm not sure for, uh, that it's going to necessarily um, be a um, prophylactic that would then stop Trump from uh, pardoning himself. I have to say, I, I do think that, you know, even if Trump were to pardon himself, and there's no particular reason to expect that he wouldn't do so. I mean, it's certainly not out of any respect for the uh, text of the Constitution that would uh, stop him from doing so. You know, I do think the self-pardon would be open to all sorts of um, constitutional challenges. Um, now, having a case in which those challenges to be raised, that's another matter, but um, whatever the founders had in mind in writing in the pardon power into um, the presidential powers, there's no way that they contemplated an auto pardon. I mean, it makes no constitutional sense whatsoever. It really makes someone a, a judge in their own case and if you look at the kind of the text and architecture of the constitution, it seems like the framers thought that was the ultimate violation of the rule of law. And just to follow up on that, am I correct in recalling that that was, your last point was indeed a finding of the Department of Justice post Watergate, that there is not, according to DOJ at the time, a self-pardoning power because of that very principle that it would involve someone sitting in uh, and hearing their own case, essentially, as the judge. Exactly. And in that, that's the same uh, DOJ uh, memo that also uh, stands for the proposition that a sitting president cannot be, uh, at least in the DOJ's understanding, can't be indicted for a crime. Uh, and that, of course, is a proposition that Trump has and his lawyers have invoked on numerous occasions. And so to invoke the uh, DOJ memo to say A, but then to ignore it when it says uh, B, um, that of course would be a hypocritical stance. Though again, it's hardly the case that um, engaging in an act of hypocrisy would be a, would vex the conscience of the present <laughs> inhabitant of the White House. You know, I I, I know um, uh, uh, granularity is is the hob is the hobgoblin of little lawyers, uh, but I want to get granular for a moment because I'm one of those hobgoblin hobgoblinly little lawyers. I'm trying to wrap my um, legal brain around the uh, section that that Matt was talking about in terms of the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. Well, a president can be impeached without being convicted of any crime. Uh, high crimes and misdemeanors have been basically defined as whatever Congress thinks it is. Um, there have been impeachments uh, without without. Uh, criminal criminal conduct. And of course, if you've got a sitting president who can't be charged, at least federally, or can't be charged with a crime while he's sitting, but he can still be impeached, there you, there you have it. So does does the section that we're that we're dissecting uh, uh, think does it contemplate a granting a reprieve or pardon 
for the impeachment, or does it complement? Or is it about the under an underlying crime? Because it, it says offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. So I it, it strikes me that we're talking about actual criminal conduct charged and not the ability of anybody, of a president, to pardon uh, uh, or grant a reprieve from impeachment. But I may be wrong, as I frequently was in my active career as an attorney. Yes, no, I, I think that, uh, well, since it's um, since you asked kind of an either or question, it's, it's hard for me to say yes. But I think the, uh, the answer is, um, I believe that what the Constitution is saying, and I think this seems like the most reasonable parsing of the language, is that you cannot use the pardon power to uh, exempt yourself from an impeachment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that is what it means. So it is likely that as long as Trump is a sitting president, probably cannot pardon himself, although that would be a matter for the courts um, to go well beyond the DOJ memo, and they'd have to uh, take a look at that. I think that would be a first in jurisprudence. Uh, it's a, it would be a case of what's called first impression, to uh, recall the language I used as a lawyer. It would be a case of first impression, as would a question of about a reprieve from uh, an impeachment. However, if we're three months, let's just say we're three months down the line and he's no longer president and uh, whether he's tried to pardon himself or not, um, and let's assume that Joe Biden doesn't issue Donald Trump a pardon. Um, it, that that would <laughs> that seems pretty unlikely, uh, even even in the healing, even in the soul of healing, um, there's no way Joe Biden is going to pardon Donald Trump. But once Trump is now out of office, um, it doesn't you know he doesn't have any power to uh, pardon himself or an, or anybody else, right? And he could be impeached and. Uh, there it goes. His pardon power is gone at, at 12, uh, 12.01 p.m. on January 20th. That's right. So, but again, just so that we're clear about this. So I believe that, you know, if you were to engage in an act of auto pardoning, um, that would be, as you've pointed out, and I think we're in heated agreement about this, uh, that would give rise to court challenges. But he could again, try to argue that he is, um, he has pardoned himself for a certain variety of, let's say, uh, crimes that he actually would have to specify. Um, but that act of auto pardoning would not uh, apply to the impeachment process itself. He can't auto pardon himself out of an impeachment. So even if he were to uh, pardon himself, uh, the House could still go ahead with the process of impeaching him and it could send over the articles of impeachment whatever time they want, three months into the Biden administration. It is, as you pointed out, it is inconceivable that Biden would pardon uh, Trump. And uh, it is also then possible that the Senate could then act on those articles of impeachment at a uh, time to be decided. Can I just follow up for a, a second? I, uh kind of collateral issue is there have been 
there's been a lot of discussion uh, since the attempted coup about the role of uh, both senators who were seen to be inciting insurrection as well as members of Congress. I mean, uh, um, uh, Mo, Mo Brooks got up on, on the stage at the rally that preceded uh, the the violence and and uh, he was you know he was foaming at the mouth and uh, basically telling people we're not going to take it anymore we've had I mean he he was certainly actively inciting the mob and many people have seen the conduct of both members of Congress and the Senate in the days uh, weeks and moments leading up to this as as um, uh, inciting insurrection. Um, the 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 definitions of sedition and in fact the the code at 18 USC talks about inciting insurrection as a federal crime. What's what would be the process? What's the likelihood? What what how how crazy is it to think about senators and members of Congress facing federal charges for inciting insurrection? Is that just too far off the incitement um, uh, in, incitement scale, or could they be charged? Again, um, <clears throat> since I uh, since I took um, for better or worse a career path other than uh, becoming a federal prosecutor, I'm not sure I can offer a you know a, a entirely um, convincing answer to that. You know, I do think when it comes to something like incitement, it has to be you know pretty direct. I mean, we know that we have this very robust First Amendment uh, tradition, and the First Amendment tradition does, of course, carve out these exceptions for things like fighting words, for words that are likely to um, result in imminent violence. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure if the kind of incendiary comments that issued from Brooks actually rise to that standard. I mean, you know, you can always imagine people getting up there and saying, we got to fight these, you know, son of a bitches or anything like that. We got to fight and fight and keep the fight going. And then they're saying, look, I just meant figuratively. I didn't mean like we should be, uh, you know, putting on brass knuckles and striking these people in the face. So I, I do think it is, you know, I'm not exactly sure if there really is a, um, a basis for, um, for pursuing that type of, um, of case. And the one thing that I also worry about is even if there were a sufficient basis for indictment, I do worry about then the indictment either being uh, quashed on, let's say, First Amendment grounds or that uh, people get acquitted. And by getting acquitted, then it ends up rehabilitating what they've done. Um, just as a minor thing that some of your listeners might be interested in, I guess the question is well, what about impeaching them? impeaching these members of Congress. And the impeachment process, alas, does not extend to members of Congress. At least that has how it's been understood that being an official of the United States, um, that apparently members of Congress are not officials of the United States, but the, under the terms of the, the impeachment clause. So since we're in the realm of uh, Trump contemplating ways to get himself and his co-conspirators off the hook, um, here's a question that's that's been sort of circulating online. I, I, I'd, I'd love for you to educate me on this. Does a pardon imply guilt? Is it a, in the eyes of the law, is it a tacit or an explicit admission that 
there has been some type of criminal wrongdoing. So if Trump pardons himself or his kids, his family, is he admitting that they've broken the law? Um, again, I think that it's open to debate because some people might say um, it is. Uh, on the other hand, you could imagine someone saying, um, I'm not acknowledging guilt. I'm just acknowledging the political reality that people are going to vengefully come after me and members of my family. So, um, but it is the case that you do need to specify what you're pardoning yourself for. Yep. I mean, you, you can't just get there and say like, oh, I hereby pardon myself from everything I'm ever gonna do in the future and then go out and then do what he, you know, claimed, shoot someone on the middle of Fifth Avenue and said, oh, I'm pardoned from that. So you can't, and just to clarify, you can, do I understand right that you can issue, do you have to specify how specifically do you need to get in a retroactive pardon and you can't give a prophylactic pardon? You can't say, I'm, I have a get out of jail free card forever throughout the universe. Yes and no. That is, you can specify, you need not have been charged with something in order to extend the pardon. So in a sense, it is prophylactic. That is, that is something, it is a, a kind of um, get out of jail free card. For example, when uh, President Ford pardoned uh, Nixon, Nixon had not been charged with any crimes yet, but you still had to specify what the charges were that he was potentially facing. So it's not a carte blanche, we can say. So you can't just say any and all crimes I may have been committed or would be might be charged with having committed. You exactly. have to be more specific. Precisely. Well, I'm going to th this is an absolutely fascinating discussion. And we're going to take a very quick break here to hear from our sponsors. Uh, this is uh, Matt Robeson with Paul Hodes on Off the Record, produced by WKXL on all the podcast platforms. And we're going to come back in just a moment to this fascinating constitutional, legal, and political discussion with Dr. Douglas. We're back to Off the Record, produced by WKXL and podcast on Google, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, if you're listening to us on one of those platforms. Please subscribe. We have a lot of fascinating content, including our interview here with Dr. Lawrence Douglas, a professor at Amherst College, author of Will He Go? A comprehensive study of the ways that our election process under our constitution could melt down in the face of this unprecedented autocrat, Donald Trump. And lo and behold, our process has come right to the brink, right to the brink of melting down. Some would say that the armed insurrection in the Capitol last week does represent a total meltdown. So I, I want to ask you, uh, Dr. Douglas, about that very question. You wrote the most comprehensive study of how things could go off the rails. And you speculated very creatively about different scenarios for how things could go down the tubes. How close have we come here, recognizing we're not fully out of danger? I mean, did this did this sort of match your worst case scenarios? Did it, did, it, did it come kind of like halfway? How bad has this gotten? Well, um, you know, as you know, Matt, I mean, my, my catastrophic imagination goes pretty, pretty far. So, you know, I think it is the case that things actually could have gotten worse. Um, that is, you know, at the end of the day, Biden is going to be inaugurated on January 20th. 
And, you know, this putsch attempt that we saw on January 6th, it did not succeed as uh, disturbing and horrific as it was. Um, and we saw that, you know, the, this attempt to basically overturn the results of a democratic election, um, it, uh, it has been an incredible stress test to our system. Um, you know, we saw that Trump basically, I think he pursued, you know, a three-pronged attack. The first was through the courts, uh, that attack failed. Uh, the second was through, you know, pressure and ex almost extortion that he placed on local election officials, on state legislators, on his own vice president. That attempt failed. And then he also lied about the election and spread conspiracy theories. And that attempt almost succeeded. I mean, that attempt really came pretty close to succeeding. And, you know, in a certain way, it did succeed in that it didn't necessarily overturn the result of the election, but it does seem to have poisoned the well of uh, our democracy uh, to the extent that you have, you know, tens of millions of people who believe that uh, there was a rigged election. And it also succeeded uh, to the extent that you find, you know, majority of the GOP delegation to Congress after this putsch attempt still refusing to certify Biden's uh, electoral victory. You know, and when, when Mitch McConnell has to emerge as the voice of conscience for the Republican Party, <laughs> you know, that tells you something about the state of our democracy. It, it's, a, it's a pretty sad state. However we analyze it, however you look at it, things have come to a pretty low ebb. So, I mean, I suppose that the, the, uh, the, the, zip, the zip tie invaders could have gone so far as to take members of Congress hostage. Some of them, you know, had been talking about it. That's what they wanted to do there. Some of them had been planning to see what kind of perimeter they could set up to prevent uh, officials inside from from fleeing. So could it have been worse? Sure, it could have been worse. But for a, a, a young country like ours, with a fragile experiment in democracy like ours, which appeared uh, to have uh, succeeded pretty well over the past 250 years, this was certainly um, uh, if not a catastrophic event, a, a wake-up call. And as we've discussed, uh, um, some of the institutions uh, and some and the citizenry held. Uh, and after all, a democracy is only as strong as uh, the members of the democracy, but we are left with a divided nation. Beyond that, my 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 uh, when I've looked at the news uh, about how did this happen? What, who was, who was responsible? What was behind this? Um, some of uh, what I've seen uh, or, or, and is implied is that in the law enforcement response uh, to this, it may be that there were others in positions of high authority, uh, whether in agencies um, such as the Defense Department, the Intelligence Department. Um, maybe it's in the White House. Maybe it's um, uh, 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 members of the cabinet who participated, for example, in slowing down the response uh, of, to, to the calls for help 
once the capital was was overrun. Um, does the Constitution uh, co contemplate any action uh, against those folks beyond or instead of um, uh, criminal prosecution for conspiracy of some sort? Uh, are there are there are there provisions uh, to deal with cab with cabinet members, say, if there were cabinet members who conspired with the president? I mean, again, cabinet members would be considered uh, officials. And so they could be, for example, um, you know, if you're thinking back to the impeachment process, they could be disqualified from holding uh, office in the future. So that is something that you could try to do with respect to uh, cabinet people on the level of like uh, cabinet officers. Uh, so that is one possible response. And it's certainly anyone who did uh, kind of aid and abet a uh, putsch against uh, the US Capitol, uh, I think richly deserves to be disqualified uh, from, uh, from any kind of um, office in the, of the United States, uh, if not uh, deserving of you know, criminal prosecution. Just to follow up on that, John Harris writing in Politico suggests that we need a 9-11 commission style investigative body to air what really happened here. What's your thoughts on that? Is, is that sort of the right avenue to go down here that we need this kind of broad investigatory uh, response with uh, subpoena powers to really air all of these interrelationships and, and kind of get to the bottom, if for nothing else than the historical record? <clears throat> I mean, I think that certainly would be very helpful. I mean, I think it would be very helpful. I mean, we've already seen, you know, these crazy things that, you know, I don't know if he's backed off from, but we saw Matt Gaetz, uh, the, um, the congressman from Florida, uh, immediately air the conspiracy theory that this was a false flag event, that uh, these were, in fact, uh, members of Antifa uh, dressed up. I think his language was masquerading as uh, Trump supporters. <laughs> and so, you know, any kind of uh, commission that would disabuse people of that, I suppose, would be helpful. Um, I think we certainly need to look at the, um, the, all the kind of security failures on the part of, um, of the Capitol Police. And certainly, I do think it is uh, critical to see what kind of uh, actions were happening, you know, in the White House, in the executive branch, uh, as these events were unfolding. Um, so all of that, I think, is, is absolutely crucial. The one thing that, that again, I don't know if this is a, a kind of that great of a concern is, you know, I don't want the attention to now be devoted exclusively to um, uncovering the failures on the part of the response, unless they really show some kind of almost acts of, you know, collusion or so that, that you know, the members of the police were enamored of these uh, protesters. And then, you know, we saw them removing one barricade or something like that. But, you know, I, I don't want any kind of uh, inquiry to draw attention away from the responsibility that Trump and his enablers ultimately hold for what happened. So the 25th Amendment, um, which has now uh, entered the national lexicon in a way that it never had, nobody ever really thought about it before, um, occasionally when uh, presidents might be facing a brief bout of anesthesia for some uh, routine operation, uh, it, it, would, it, might, it would be invoked, but nobody ever thought about it. Now we're thinking about it all the time. Uh, Vice President Pence 
um, uh, is reported to have uh, objected or uh, dismissed the idea, but then reported to maybe not rejecting the idea out of hand. And from a political standpoint, Vice President Pence became the object of the ire of the of the of the coup plotters and the coup attempt uh, because he had uh, refused to follow the president's direction to uh, overturn the the election results by by acting at the president's behest to refuse to certify uh, the election results or do whatever he could to impede it so so they came into the capital wanting to hang um, wanting to hang Vice President Pence. So I'm not sure how much love lost there is between Vice President Pence and his President Trump at this point. But be that as it may, um, what it, it, can the 25th Amendment uh, be used as a cudgel uh, to keep Trump from doing terrible things before he leaves office? If it is used in this case, which would frankly be a kind of first ever, we'd, we'd see debates about the mental capacity and fitness of a president who um, has been called these days unhinged, deranged, uh, basically the mad king. It's very Shakespearean. Um, uh, but, but what effect? Can it be used? And, and if it were to be used, uh, uh, what what do you foresee in the way it would play out in debate? And then what future for the 25th Amendment uh, down the line? Right. So maybe there are two questions about the 25th Amendment. One is, you know, maybe the more kind of uh, predictive question of, you know, can it be used? And then the question is, you know, maybe whether it should be used. And, um, you know, can it be used? Part of that, the answer that has to do with, the time frame we're talking about. So we have what again nine, ten days left in this presidency. Uh, is that enough time to invoke uh, the Twenty Fifth Amendment? The Twenty Fifth Amendment to actually invoke it—that's a pretty cumbersome thing to do. It's not easy to do it. I mean, not only would you need um, Vice President Pence to sign on to it, you'd also need the members of the uh, president's cabinet to the extent that he still has a cabinet. And uh, even if the cabinet and the vice president uh, were in favor of its invocation, the president could still challenge that. And it would require a two thirds vote of Congress to uh, overturn the uh, president's challenge. So I, I really don't think that, you know, as a tool for trying to check uh, Trump over the next, you know, week and a half, the uh, 25th Amendment is going to provide a, an, an adequate uh, check. Um, even if it could provide an adequate, adequate check, you know, there's, there's a way in which I, I actually have some concerns about invoking the 25th Amendment. And, and uh, I'll try to explain it in this way. You know, the 25th Amendment, I think, was, um, it was ratified in the wake of Kennedy's assassination uh, when the nation had to reckon with the possibility that you have a president and a permanent, you know, vegetative state. And I think it was really meant to deal with, you know, moments of incapacity or let's say the president experienced some, uh, you know, genuine psychotic break. And I think if you um, invoked the... Uh, 25th Amendment now, it would work it, it kind of perversely to legitimize everything that Trump had done up until now. 
That is, I don't see that what Trump did in the last couple of weeks as a radical break in Trump's personality. We haven't witnessed the, the sudden and alarming disintegration of this previously intact personality. Uh, in many ways, it's, he's acted in perfect consistency with everything we've seen from him. And so just as a kind of, almost just in terms of, you know, historical um, accuracy, I just think that the uh, invocation of the 25th Amendment almost kind of uh, contributes to a distortion of the, of, the, uh, of the record. It suggests that we're seeing the disintegration and not the perfection of Trump. That's a really right. fascinating point. I, I haven't heard anyone think along those lines yet. And of course, it reminds me that when the whole impeachment saga a year ago was contemplated over the Ukraine call, I had a very similar reaction, which is maybe this is a slight difference in degree, but it's not really a difference in kind from the behavioral pattern that we'd seen previously with this president. You, mean, you know, I wanted to, you, oh, go ahead, Paul. Let me, do you mean to tell me that we are left to the devices of an election in order to determine whether a president is fit or unfit? I mean, isn't that allowing the rabble to figure out what ought to happen in the most dire of circumstances? I mean, take me back to 2016. I guess your argument is the guy's always been nuts, so this is no different. And uh, therefore, the, you can't claim uh, any kind of new incapacity. It's just been taken uh, to it's, its logical conclusion. And the 25th Amendment wasn't meant to protect us from the logical conclusion. Only the voters can protect us from the logical conclusion. Now. Mary Trump, the uh, the Trump's uh, niece, would uh, have argued as a as a trained and experienced clinical psychologist that this guy was totally damaged from from age four by his monstrous father. And however he got elected, nobody can she can't she can't figure out. But she's been calling for his removal since he was elected. That, Right. Well, not being a, a trained psychologist, you know, that's a little bit beyond my, my pay grade. But, you know, I, I do actually, um, you know, on, on some level, a lot of us are damaged people. And uh, so the, the fact that someone, you know, has experienced like an unhappy childhood, um, I'm not sure if, um, again, I, I suppose I just don't see the, the um, the necessary payoff of you know trying to say that well he's unfit for office as a result of this damaged uh, childhood. I think you look at the person's record, uh, why he's behaved in the way he's behaved. I'll leave that speculation up to others. But what I'm making my basing my judgments on um, are his actions as president. And it strikes me that his more most recent actions are perfectly consistent with everything that we've seen from him. And Sure. I mean, ultimately, if we could invoke the 25th Amendment uh, and we could suddenly uh, make sure that he doesn't wreak any havoc in the last nine days, if we could push a button, I would push the button. But I guess I was just trying to express the kind of um, misgivings I might have about uh, pushing that button. Well, of course, the place where his mental state has played out the most and the most publicly is, of course, on Twitter. And I just want to commend to our listeners, don't think that because the election is over, it is no longer worthwhile to read Dr. Douglas's book, Will He Go? I urge you to pick it up. One of the great, it's sort of a perverse joy, but one of the joys of that book is 
where it's your ability to channel Donald Trump in your made up Trump tweets. They're, they're so spot on, you'll, 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 you won't believe that they're not a cut and paste. So you alluded earlier in the show to, hey, you know, it might be very protective. You, you sort of seem to be saying that the actions of Facebook and Twitter to deplatform him in the last week, it's time that that's a necessary step. It's an important step. What do you make of the First Amendment argument of some of the critics who have said, you know, not, not a good move. If you, if you think long-term, there's going to be blowback. It, 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 it's just the downsides outweigh the upsides. Where do you come down on that? Yeah, I don't see the downsides, uh, the downsides outweighing the upsides in this particular case. And I do think one of the challenges that we have moving forward is kind of rethinking some of the shibboleths of the First Amendment, or maybe I should just put it this way, that um, the First Amendment was not designed to deal with a situation in which the uh, principal um, exponent of lies and conspiracy theories um, is the occupant of the Oval Office. It just is not designed to deal with that kind of problem. And so I think once you have a problem like that, you have to start thinking outside the box. And uh, I don't think, you know, as, as uh, passionately as, I'm, as I am committed to uh, First Amendment freedoms, and certainly, uh, you know, when it comes to being a, uh, a professor at a college, I'm concerned with all sorts of, um, you know, potentially woke um, restrictions on, uh, on what people can uh, say and debate. Um, I, I do think we need to just kind of uh, recognize that we can't just kind of uh, stand by and watch someone engage in uh, incendiary speech that is imperiling the future of our democracy and say that, um, well, we have to do it because of the First Amendment. Man, oh man, oh man. You know, I mean, did you did any of us ever think in our younger days we would be debating the fine points of how to rid ourselves of a mad king um we've had an authoritarian uh, in the white house who's who made it quite clear from the beginning that uh he was going to other everybody um he did uh, on the wall, on the on one of the doors inside the Capitol, where I served, where Matt served, where we worked, uh, there was scrawled "Murder the Media." We saw uh, the mob uh, trashing media equipment that had been left behind as reporters and journalists fled. Um, so when we think about how serious this was and what the fallout for the future is in terms of contemplating, you know, it's not just about the security, but contemplating both politically and practically, what are the steps we can take that don't make the situation worse? 45% of Republicans um, spoke, uh, apparently approved of taking over the Capitol. Um, this guy got 70 million Americans to vote for him before he did this, while he'd been talking about stealing the election, talking about a rigged election for months and months, if not years. Um, thinking about how we bring the country together after this practically is, 
is a real is a real question. Any final thoughts in thirty seconds, Professor? Well, yeah, I wish I had the um, the magic solution. You know, I guess I will say one thing is that um, you know I do think one of the chief um, responsibilities of a president is to be a kind of storyteller in, in chief. And you know, I think it's much healthier to have a Joe Biden who seems like a genuinely decent person committed to bringing us together. Um, the last four years, we have a person in the White House who was committed to tearing us apart. And he was very successful in doing that. I wish that Biden will be as successful in bringing us together as Trump was in tearing us apart. This is Off the Record, produced by WKXL. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google, or Stitcher, please hit that subscribe button so you can get more fascinating episodes like our conversation here with Dr. Lawrence Douglas. And go on Amazon and buy his book, Will He Go? It's a fascinating read. Dr. Douglas, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, it's so much great. It was really great being back with uh, you, Matt and Paul. 